Hey, 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 you're now listening to the Halos and the Infield Angels Weekly Podcast. Hey, 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 it's Todd Fox here from Halos in the Infield Podcast, and we are ple- we have the great pleasure to talk to the great Southern California legend, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. How are you doing today, sir? Nice to talk to you. I know you got a lot of followers up in Orange County, so uh, it's great to venture back into the podcast world. On my podcast that I do on a regular basis, we talk a ton of baseball, specifically Angels, Dodgers, Padres, and I'm sure you want to touch all those bases during the world series absolutely and can you promote your shows where they could find you and social media well i have a big sports website first of all it's all written it's leehacksawhamilton.com i i write on it every day of the week Uh, i've been doing it for probably a decade plus as you know i did sports talk radio for 28 years here in southern california in all the markets Uh, then i started a podcast about 11 months ago and like yours it's exploded uh, it's on YouTube channel. It's just Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. I do it on Mondays. I do it on Thursdays. And of course, it's up there on YouTube permanently. And we're on Instagram and TikTok and all the other platforms with one man's opinion commentary. So for a guy that's not working full time, I'm working full time. <laughs> Sounds like it. And you've, you've always been that busy bee, you know, because I'm, I'm also as far as football, I'm a Seahawks fan. And I love the fact that you did some of the commentary for the Seahawks back in the day, play-by-play, 98 and 99. Um, but you've done a wide range, uh, range of things, you know, with Charger football, other things, and and being a local radio legend, because we, you know, I lived up here in L.A., and I got a chance to hear a lot of you, you know, on Extra Sports 690. We had just a strong enough, you know, signal to catch you on there when you were, you know, and, and you're before social media and the, the instant gratification of headlines coming like this, you were the place to go. I just got a fanboy a little bit, Lee, because I enjoyed your 15 minutes, your top headlines. It was awesome. You know, I, you literally did tell us, this is all you need to know. This is one man's opinion. This is all the sports that's going on right here, right now. And then you would ask for reaction. That was a great concept. Well, we developed it. I was the internet before the internet. I've always been consumed by information. I still am. If you check my website daily, you'll be amazed at the volume of stuff that we cover and I write on a day in day out basis. And now I'm doing some of that also uh, on my podcast package and what I'm doing with my one man's opinion commentary. So it's a new world. The landscape is very different. I enjoy it a, a great deal, but yes, thank you for the compliments. Yeah. I just had to throw that out there. And one of the reasons why too, I reached out to you and we're thankful to have you on again is the fact that your takes about the angels. And first, I want to, you know, get your take for those that didn't see that segment that you did with your co-host about Artie Moreno and how you feel about him as an owner taking over the Angels and then to where it's at right now. Well, I guess I should preface my comment that I was, excuse me, always an Artie Moreno fan. Mm -hmm. He came in at the right time as Disney was getting out. He inherited a good situation. Uh, Part of me says he really tried hard to continue the success, excuse me, of Angels baseball. But he made a lot of mistakes as that we went further down the road. And now the organization is held in real disarray, distrust. It's been viewed as dysfunctional, which I feel sad about, because I think as an owner, he tried really hard to be really successful, and a bunch of it blew up in his face. Uh, I guess as we fast forward from where they were, Last time, the only time they raised the World Series trophy 
to where they are right now in 2023, my first question is, Artie Moreno, do you really want to own this franchise? And if you do want to go forward, you need to make that public statement. And by the way, speaking of public, the man has become cloistered. The man has become reclusive. The man seems to be in grudge mode against the media. I totally disagree with that. Artie Moreno made his wealth in the advertising business, the billboard business. He knows that industry. Well, communicating as a baseball owner, I think is part of this equation. And I really think he could change the scope of things if he would sit down with the media and talk to them about what's happened then, what's happened now, what his view is of the future. He needs to take down the barbed wire that's around him and develop a working relationship with the media because this media is going to be here every day, day and night. And you blowing them off or you refusing to deal with them puts you really in a bad light. So if you want to own the franchise, own it, run it correctly, deal with the people you have to deal with, and then fix the franchise. He's tried hard. There's no doubt in my mind the enormous amount of money that he has invested in free agents shows that he really cares and he wants to win. But he's become such an impulsive person that I'm not going to give him a go-out-pass-jail, go-free card because he's the one that gave the ridiculous amounts of money to the drug-troubled Josh Hamilton mm-hmm. and the amounts of money that he gave to Justin Upton and the amounts of money that he burned on Vernon Wells. He needs to have true baseball people run his franchise. He can have input, but let the baseball people make the decisions. Hats off the amount of money he gave Trout. Obviously, the ability to get Otani, a generational player, in here for this group of years, spectacular. But he's also failed. He's also really been stung. I think he's really been hurt by the drug scandal, the lawsuits, things of that nature that really set the franchise back. And I think he's just an innocent bystander of the collateral damage that happened below him. He's not to blame for it. Yeah, he's the owner, et cetera. But I I think that took some of the joy out of owning Major League Baseball. So my message to him, and I got along well with him as I was doing sports talk radio and I'd go to spring training camp and we'd broadcast them from the Angels uh, camp in Tempe and what we did at Vero Beach with the Dodgers, what I did in San Diego with the Padres. My message to him is, do you want to own it? If you want to own it, announce it, sit down and talk to the press, heal all these wounds, fill all these craters, develop that relationship, and then get to the business of baseball. And that's, that's the next question. How do you get to the business of baseball? I don't know if he's made mistakes on general managers. I don't know who he counsels with, but if if I, as a fan and as a working member of the media that's covered this thing forever, if if he wants to be successful, he needs to reach out and counsel with some very established, good baseball men. There are retired general managers who are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. There are retired, more recent executives that are available that could be a sounding board for him. And, you know, I don't I don't know whether that's the former Dodger manager, whether that's Larry Lacchino, Boston, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, San Diego. They're good baseball men that I think would counsel with him, give him some ideas and just give him some opinions that maybe he's not received. So I, I would like to see him step away from the people that he's been dealing with, go seek some info from outside and then just see if he can make better decisions, maybe with better people or different people going forward. That's a long answer to your question, but that's kind of my summary judgment of, of Angel Baseball and where the owner is now. 
No, I like how you covered it because my question to you is, is everything that you laid out there would be something I would have thought he would have did once he decided in the off season, no, I'm going to stay moving forward. I've got unfinished business to do because last season, Lee, you know, we covered the team and we had access. And I think as the team soured, you know, we were being real fans and giving our opinions and numerous one of our podcasts were just denied access to players uh, guys like Gubazaw, who was really uh, nice to us and would come on our show, even on my post game when I would do the post games, uh, they stopped coming on. And and it was sort of like that thing where it was a media freeze. And like you said, I think it would have went a long way. You know, it's the first time I heard it explained like you just did. But for for him to have come out and addressed all these things, maybe throw a fan fest out there, something this organization hasn't had in such a long time that I'm jealous of your Padres do down there. And you know, just try to bring the people together because right now it's sort of like the fans against Artie. And I don't know if you, uh, or you probably did hear about or see the fact when Oakland was here for that last series, you had Oakland fans supporting the Angels when they were chanting sell the team and Angel fans supporting Oakland fans sell the team when they were chanting their chants. Um, it's been, it's, you know, it's a very, like if you've got to check the temperature where his, you know, where he is held at, as an owner in the SoCal area, it's got to be at the bottom. And just, you know, I, you know, he did come in with good intentions and, and there's just been bad baseball things, like you said, but my question to you is, is it too little too late for him to fix his overall perception by the the media and the fans and to turn this thing around? I don't think it's too late if he wants to own the team. That's item one. Tell me, tell the fans in Orange County, is Artie Moreno all in to run this team? If the answer is yes, then Artie Moreno needs to get all in and end this war zone mentality that exists. Media is not going to go away. And it's better to work with the media and answer the tough questions, the unhappy questions, the hard questions, and then move on to the next topic and try to fix this franchise. But that can only come from him, or maybe that comes from John Carpino. And those guys are no longer power brokers. Because the worst thing you could have in your baseball market or any sports market is apathy. And sure. if you've got the media against you and you're losing, the fans will turn against you. Then the fans will stop coming. And that then delivers you to the worst case scenario, apathy, where nobody cares. And he has to prevent that. But that can only come from him. And I, as I said early on, I think he had great intentions. I thought he did well very early, but I think there have been a series of bad mistakes. And there's so much junk from within that I don't understand. The treatment of the Hispanic broadcasting crew, mm -hmm. the treatment of his own broadcasting crew by not putting him on the road. Yep. That's nickel and dime stuff. That's utterly ridiculous. So, uh, you know, I understand injuries. I understand making mistakes in trades and free agencies because every general manager in all of Major League Baseball has good days in player acquisitions and bad outcomes sometimes with those player acquisitions, but there's just too much negativity around the franchise and it has to start with him. Correct. Uh, one other thing I wanted to get your opinion on too, as far as the angels are concerned, is you look at our division now, Seattle is on the come up, you know, they made the postseason, broke that long streak. Uh, they were close again this year. They have an objective. They have a direction. Texas Rangers are obviously maybe two wins away from a World Series championship. They have a direction. Their young talent hasn't even hit the majors yet, so they're going to be around for a while. Houston is still trying to hold to that division leader. Oakland's has a 
direction as far as a rebuild or a move to Vegas and a rebuild. What's the Angels' direction, Lee, as an outsider to, you know, obviously you're a man of sports and you you follow these teams, but what do you think the direction is for the Angels? Because as Angels fans, Lee, it's hard for me to see which way we're going. Like, is it rebuild, reload? What are we doing? Well, it's a big issue. And obviously, some of that's out of your control. Free agency. Mm -hmm. CAA represents Shohei Otani. Showtime is going to go to the free agent market the last night the World Series is over. But that does not mean you can't make an offer. You can't make a state-of-the-art offer. Only within Otani's heart will we ever know whether or not this is the right place for him. I said on my podcast on Monday that in terms of Otani, he will have to consider the culture of the organization he's with. Everybody says they want to win, but have they shown the ability to win? He's he's going to examine the community. Do I like living where I'm living now, Southern California, Orange County, how I've, how I've been received? And then obviously, dollars and cents are going to play into this equation. So there's some things that they control. The dollar offer they make to Otani as a DH with an option that the contract can kick up once he becomes cleared to become a pitcher-designated hitter superstar, they can control the offer. They can't control the agent. The agent may take him, uh, you know, November 1st onto the free agent market. Uh, you know, the Mike Trout contract is a prime example of, quote, wanting to win. The terrible contracts that were impulsively offered and the sales pitches that they obviously got suckered into uh, with Josh Hamilton and Upton and and Vernon Wells, they have to stay away from that because that's burned money that you can't reclaim and you can't use on other players. But it's still Southern California. It's a great place to live. I still think it's the Anaheim Orange County market is a separate entity to Dodger Stadium. Mm-hmm. I think there's a market unto itself that can develop its own stars, its own following and draw three or 3.5 million fans possibly if the product is good. So I would sales pitch towards that market. Uh, but I, I think the other factor in the equation, does he have the right general manager? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was part of Perry Manazian's debut press conference, and I was really impressed. But it takes time to build. You know, what, two years ago, they drafted 21 pitchers. All, all their draft choices were arms. Well, that takes time to get those guys to the major league level. You're seeing flashes of young guys now. They've just been beset by bad injuries. They've been beset by the drug scandal, you know, and, and and the death of the two pitchers going back, one on drugs, one on a drunk driving situation. It's really set this franchise back. It's like there's a curse over Angel Baseball. I don't know if the GM is the right GM, but as I say, if if it were my club, if I were king, mm-hmm. I'd be calling some of these other retired baseball executives. Some of them are in the Hall of Fame. Some of them have just left Major League Baseball and use them as sounding boards as to who's the right guy to go get to be my president of baseball ops or to be my GM. And that leads us now to the current day question. What do they do for manager? Mm-hmm. If I were king, I want a manager with credibility that walks in the door. I don't want a young guy who's cheap, who you might be taking a gamble on with a hope he pans out. If I were manager, there's great credibility in Buckshow Walter. There's great credibility in Craig Council. You bring them in and let them use their calling card to go meet with Otani and, and sales pitch who they are. Those are things that they can control and they can act on. Yeah, I know it's novel to talk about bench coaches elevating them. It's novel to talk about some minor league guy, but they've never been there. And I think the most important aspect to angel baseball right now is somebody with credibility that can go in 
and convince free agents to either stay here or convince free agents to come join us and be here in Southern California. You know, when I close my eyes and I think of Angel Baseball, I think of the, the great years of Dean Chance and I think of Don Baylor and I think of all the guys that the Autry sign as they tried to push this thing. And then I think of Jim Abbott and that whole next range of guys, the Erstads and the David Ecksteins, et cetera. So they need somebody with credibility to go sales pitch that logo to the next wave of free agents to say, come join us because the owner is committed. We're going to flip this thing. If Otani goes, Otani goes, and I wouldn't be angry. I'd just say to Otani and his people, thanks for the years you gave us. You gave us memories we'll never, never, ever see again. But if I have a manager with credibility, he can make that phone call and say, I want to meet with your guy, and I want to meet with your person. I want to tell him my blueprint as to how we're going to do it. Now, it's easy for me to say as a talk show host if I were king, but I've been through a lot, examined a lot, worked with a lot of really good baseball people. There should be people that Artie Moreno can use as a sounding board uh, to just give him different angles and ideas to think of to try to fix this thing. Because I I still think this this franchise, I think Orange County is a sleeping giant of a market. That it is. And and it's got loyal fans, as we've seen over the years, you know, and, and they're dying for winning baseball again. It's year nine of a playoff drought right now. So I know the fans are hungry for it. And that's what I was going to ask you about as far as a manager. Do you think, you know, with reputation and street cred as far as counsel and Showalter, if they were to get the job, do you think the analytics that were discussed with Nevin, because we know Nevin was, you know, he played down there in San Diego. He played up here with Terry Collins. He was a hard-nosed player, and I thought when he got the job or at least the interim removed um, that he would invoke discipline, more fundamental baseball. We saw no fundamentals from this team last year, no willingness to bunt. They were swinging first pitch. You know, our innings were like three to five minutes long while the opponents was like 15 minutes because they're taking pitches, being patient, things of that nature. We seem to just swing for the fences a lot. Do you think that if one of these managers that you would put in place, do you think they would give them, you know, no, you know, take the chains off them and let them run the run the uh, team the way they want to? I think analytics is part of every baseball franchise. And I think you have to take the data. And then let the manager pick and choose what data he wants the players to observe because you don't want to mentally overload the players. Nevin, and and obviously prior to that, even with Joe Madden, who I thought was going to be successful, but Joe is so offbeat sometimes and so much off on a tangent. Maybe he got sidetracked. But those two guys, they've never had a full roster. You tell me how tell me how many games Rendon, Trout, and Otani have missed in the last. (laughs) Three calendar years. I mean, it's a phenomenal number of guys to have your cornerstones out. And then I think last year they had three different shortstops that were on the disabled injured list for extended periods of time and had a hole at third base. And you had one player who had mental health issues and depression and you had other guys that were hurt. I mean, it was just ridiculous. They never, I don't think they ever got out of Diablo Stadium in Tempe with a full roster. So it, 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 I feel bad for Nevin because I've known Phil a long time, like him, and he's he's paid his price and his dues, and he's managed so many places, and now he gets his chance here, and he's got the roof falling in on him because he can't put a healthy team on the field. So uh, I I feel bad for Phil. I, I don't quite understand how the whole Madden experiment kind of went off track, but it's there. The potential is there. You've still got players. you got more young players, I swear, are probably coming. 
you know, it takes time to develop draft picks. And, you know, the prime example is Joe Adele. That was yeah. the number one, number one draft pick. We waited and we waited and he hit 201 and he hit 198 and go back to the minors and he pounded the ball out of AAA in Salt Lake and came back up here. And last year was the first time in minute segments we saw flashes say, wow, we can, maybe he's arrived, maybe he's played. That's just a prime example of how long it takes to get number one draft picks to the show. I mean, we, we can't all have 19-year-old first-round draft picks like Bryce Harper who show up in our immediate stars in Major League Baseball. So it's just just a multitude of things that have kind of the roof is caved in on Angel Baseball. But, I, you know, there's a way out of this thing, and it's through player acquisitions, it's through the player draft. It's for, if you've got the right amount of free agent money, and that's why I think you need a manager with credibility that walks in the door who can flash that resume and say, I've done this. We're going to try to recreate this here in Anaheim. Come be part of it at the Big A with us. And that's that's why, as much as I like Erstad, you know, I think you need established credibility with your manager immediately. Correct. Because, we, I mean, we've seen what happened with Bruce Bochy. I mean, one year, I mean, we thought as a page here, he would turn Texas around. But in like two years, we thought, okay, they're going to be a, probably a playoff team this year. But nowhere did we think there was going to be a World Series run. That just goes to the credibility he's got. He has the the discipline he's got in that locker room with the guys, the way they love him so much because he's relatable. So yeah, I, I can see your point exactly, and I'm I'm hoping for our Bruce Bochy here in Anaheim uh, to turn this te- this team around. Uh, but- well, I think I will interject here. I will tell you this World Series is so unique and different because Arizona lost 110 games two years ago. Mm-hmm. Texas lost 101 two years ago, and they're playing in the Fall Classic. <laughs> say, how how is that possible? Well, Arizona elected to take everybody in the farm system and push them to the major league roster and go through ups and downs. And they got hot and they stayed healthy. And they're in the fall classic right now with really a young team. Yeah. Since Texas went from hundred plus loss season and they pushed all their money to the front of the table. They spent 513 million in contract commitments over two winters, the last two winters to get that team that's in the dugout. That's playing for a pretty good leader in Bruce Bochy. So it's, it's interesting the road Texas travel versus the road Arizona traveled to get to the fall classic. I mean, there's no one blueprint you can subscribe to. You need a little bit of luck on top of it. So the angels have to hope this black cloud of injury that has wrecked this franchise and the financial mistakes that Carpino and Artie Moreno made are going to go away. And if they have the right general manager with the right field manager, you can flip things fairly quickly and you need, you need a little bit of luck, which is no bad injuries. And we haven't seen that in Orange County yet in the last three years. Absolutely. I think they've led the league in injuries the last five out of the last eight years or something like ridiculous. And they just, I mean, if you know any good training staffs that are willing to uh, help us out, they just fired the current one. So we do have a job opening. But uh, I was going to ask you too, Lee, moving down south to where you're at with the Padres. You know, I was watching the MLB Network the other night, and they were ranking the teams that have been the biggest disappointments as far as expectations and the players that they put on the field. And it was kind of like all three guys disagree. Well, either one picked. They didn't pick the same team, basically. One picked the Angels, one picked the Padres, and one picked the Mets. Um, out of those three, and obviously you knowing a lot about the Padres down there, what was – because that surprised us as Angel fans. Because I think as, a, as an Angel fan, you know, it kind of, I root against the Dodgers – you know, and and when the Padres play him, I'm a huge Padres fan. 
and I love what they did last year in the postseason, and I really thought they were going to jump into a, a, a crazy playoff run again this year. What happened down there in San Diego for all those Angel fans that didn't really follow as much for the Padres? I projected they were going to win 100 games this year, mm-hmm. and that made me look pretty stupid. Now, I'm not stupid. You're what, not. What, what happened is uh, they had every one of their star players had a substandard season compared to what their career numbers were. Did not have a lot of significant injuries. Machado got dinged twice, but you know he, he wound up hitting like 35 points below his seasonal average. Tatis was suspended, came back, played pretty well, but he's not the Tatis of a couple of years ago in terms of power and everything. I don't know if the wrist surgery has has limited what he can do offensively. He did hit in the 280s with 24 home runs. Soto was MIA all of last season in the pennant race. He was MIA for two months this year. He was a mechanical mess. They finally figured it out. He really hit the hell out of the ball the final, well, from May 15th on. And to the point now, he's going to be a big-time free agent one year from tonight. Mm. And Padres have a tough decision there. But every one of their guys, and that included Jake Cronenworth, that included all their catching, every one of their everyday players had a substandard statistical season compared to what their career numbers were. And then their pitching staff, and I had indicated to everybody in San Diego on my podcast and on talk radio that I've done, that your pitching staff is never the same from one year to the next physically. A year ago, all those pitchers made 30 starts and a lot of quality starts. Well, there's a wear and tear factor on shoulders and elbows when you're asking guys to go 180 to 200 innings and take the ball 30 times a year. Every one of those guys, with the exception of Blake Snell, broke down. When they got to the finish line at the end of the season, had all these AAA guys who were marginal 4A players in their rotation trying to get back into the pennant race, and Blake Snell was the only one. And Snell had a Cy Young Award season, but that's been buffeted by a lot of substandard seasons from Blake Snell. He's not pitched really well up until this year. But, you you know, you, you think about modern-day baseball, and everybody hits a long ball, and everybody hits for average, and everybody's ERA is like 3.85. This guy was 1.52. From May 1st on, he had like 26 quality starts in a row. This was Blake Snell that used to be in Tampa, who then got hurt and was never, ever the same. So if you combine all those things, you can see how they missed the playoffs. But there was, I think there was clubhouse dissension. Uh, I don't think there was team chemistry. I got upset because I've been in that clubhouse. I kind of viewed that from a distance as being a bunch of independent contractors. There was no chemistry, no esprit de corps. It was almost as if I got my paycheck. Did you get your paycheck? It's mm. a, to me, that's a big issue. And Bob Melvin couldn't control it because the general manager, A.J. Preller, wouldn't let him come down hard on these players. So therefore, everybody was operating independently of everybody else in a season just unraveled. They dug such a big hole and they, they couldn't climb out of it at the end. So last year was a disappointment. Um the general manager has has been a unique guy to deal with, and I know him, and I like him, but I don't agree with him. He has traded the farm system away twice. Yeah, My golden retriever could sign the same type of players because AJ overpays for everybody. Well, my golden retriever could pay for overpay for everybody and get these guys to come to San Diego. But uh, AJ, AJ's got a problem now because they're going to reduce the payroll. Uh, the owner has health problems. They're going to have to cut $50 million from the payroll to get it down to 200 wow. AJ gave away ridiculous contracts 
10, 11, 12, and 14-year extensions. Now he's stuck with contracts he can't trade. His farm system has been traded away. They're at least two years away from having guys ready to play at the major league level. And he's got his top two pitchers are coming off surgeries. His third pitcher, Snell's going to free agency because he's ripped by you-know-who, Scott Boros. Mm. And he's got three other starting pitchers who have ridiculous options in their contracts. And you're not going to pay your fourth, fifth, and sixth starting pitchers $16 million per season. That's the kind of contracts he gig out. So he's, he's painted himself into a really bad corner right now. I do believe that these bats are going to come back next year. Now, whether we're going to find a leader in the clubhouse and to make the chemistry different remains to be seen. But, you know, all the years I've been down here doing talk radio and as a TV anchor in, in that clubhouse, I remember the leadership of Ken Caminetti, and yeah. I signed on for the leadership of Tony Gwynn. I have not seen any of that in that Padre clubhouse for the last five years, six years. And Preller's been there nine seasons. He has 100 games under 500 and still has his job, which to me is a that's a stunning situation because you don't kind of see that longevity. But I do believe these guys will bounce back. But I don't know how he's going to be able to deal with the Soto situation because Soto walks mm -hmm. at the end of this contract because he's represented by you-know-who, Scott Boros. <laughs> and I don't know how you replace all these pitchers because these guys are coming off surgeries now. So they got a bunch of issues. It's a long answer to your question, but there was bad chemistry and a bunch of substandard players this year. And now he's got a bloated contract roster with nothing coming out of AAA, and how you're going to replace all these guys. And by the way, you might have to cut payroll. And then the question, do you keep Soto, trade Soto? You're not going to get back what you gave to get Soto from Washington. It's it's a quagmire. It is right now, this is a topsy-turvy, upside-down situation in San Diego. That sounds pretty tough. I mean, like, with Melvin getting his dream job, I'm, I mean, you you probably expected that, talking about his relationship with the general manager. He goes up to San Francisco. Who do you think is the right guy, you know, for San Diego? Because I haven't heard too many rumors yet. Maybe it's just the L.A. market up here not really reporting on that. But I'm interested to know who can go down there and get the discipline that you need. Because obviously you can have all those players together. That reminds me of like a Portland Trailblazers when they had that all-star roster or some of these teams that just put all-star rosters together and they can't mesh. And you need the right people to get in there and do that. And you described that. Who's the right guy if you were the king of the Padres to whip them into shape and get them playing good baseball? Well, the immediate guy is is the ex-Cardinal manager, Mike Schilt, who's kind of served as a consultant here the last two years. And he's got a hard edge to him. But that's why he got tossed in St. Louis, is he was way too tough on his players, and he feuded with the guys upstairs. Mm. But he's, he has indicated he's learned some things since he's been out of that job. <laughs> Working with Preller, he seems to have a relationship with him. So maybe Mike Schilt. Uh, there's a bench coach here, Ryan Flaherty. But, you know, the reality is he's no different than Andy Green or Jace Tingler. Mm -hmm. Those guys were hired here with zero major league experience, and the players walked all over them, and then Preller lost his interest in the manager. So that's a big challenge, what type of guy. And I, I think the intangible thing is who wants to come work for this guy knowing this reputation of this front office interference nonstop, you know, the newspaper down here and the athletic website did big stories the final week of the season. I don't know if you've caught these stories, uh, quoting there's 32 different anonymous people, players that were here, staffers, some people from within that are still there, people have left, and major league executives from other teams. 
32 different people gave them critical comments, condemning comments about Preller, spies in the clubhouse, lack of team chemistry, no leadership, ego, money, fractured clubhouse. I mean, it was a really ugly story the last week of September. You know, and the Padres' whole response is, no, no, I I don't put any credence in anonymous quotes. Put your bloody name next to it. Well, that doesn't happen in today's modern-day journalism. But the fact there's 32 different people from inside and outside, current and ex-people, said all these condemning things about Preller's mode of operation. That's not a good sign. So who wants to go work in that environment unless that environment, if if A.J. Preller is going to change his methodology? And I hope maybe he would. I subscribe to a bunch of the things he does, boots on the ground everywhere. That's how you find players. And he has spent volumes of money. I mean, they gave the ownership gave him a blank check to get players, and he overspent the blank check. The amount of money he has paid to sign international free agents, to sign draft picks, in essence, bribing them not to negotiate with other teams. It's phenomenal. But he's traded a whole pile of these guys away. whole pile of them haven't panned out yet. And then he overpaid for all the veterans. All have contracts are going to drag them to beyond age 40. And now you can't trade those guys. So AJ's MO, as dynamic as it is, I just I don't subscribe to everything he's done because they haven't won bleeping anything. Outside Outside of the three months a year ago and the fascinating win when they ambushed the Dodgers in the playoffs, mm-hmm. outside of that three-month window, it's been nine years of failure. And everything they've tried, well, I don't see any end result here that's made of a winner. So if I were a king, I'd tell AJ, you need to change your mode of operation because I don't know who's going to get to come here to run this thing, fix this thing, guide this thing. Because you, you can't have the players run on the clubhouse and the dugout and not listening to the manager and the manager can't have the guys upstairs, the analytics coming down and jumping all over them. You got to do it this way, this way, this way, because that's what the numbers say. There's it's got to be some gut reaction leadership, and you got to give the manager space to run the operation. Absolutely. There has to be give and take. You can't be take, take, take. Um, last thing I got for you, Lee. I know you're a busy man, and I really appreciate the time. Um, as Angel fans, we were even flabbergasted. I mean, I heard someone the other day say on a, on another sports telecast, I'm not taking the Dodgers seriously. I don't care if they win 162 games during the regular season. It's what they do in the postseason. It's almost a given that they're there every year. What was your take and, and what was your perspective on how and why they lost? I'm very interested to, to, to hear because Angel fans have their – their assumptions on why they lost, but I'd like to hear why you think covering the Dodgers, how they got beat by an Arizona team. It's just not the Dodgers. Look who else is not there. I mean, the storyline is fascinating. You got Texas and you got Arizona and how they got there coming from different street corners. But the other storyline is who's not there. Dodgers, Atlanta, Philadelphia. Prior to that, Baltimore won 100. Tampa won 99. And there's all different explanations as to why teams all of a sudden hit a wall and it ended for them in mid-October. Uh, I think the Dodgers, they are gifted. Uh, I, I subscribe to the Dodger way, and I might be a little bit old school, but you look at that farm system and the players they've developed, you know, and they've got six more young arms coming. Now, everybody's disappointed that they didn't get it done in October. Well, those are young arms pitching in postseason baseball for the first time, which is really, really challenging. Uh, Kershaw, I thought it was a wear and tear factor. He's just not the same guy, but that doesn't mean 
you know, shame on Dodger fans for booing this guy. Guy's going to the Hall of Fame. Everything this guy has done for that franchise and in that community with his foundations, how dare you boo Clayton Kershaw? Julio Urias betrayed him. And that's devastating to lose one of the frontline starting pitchers. And then, of course, Bueller, May, Gonsolin, all the surgeries. I mean, the fact that they were still playing in October, I guess, is a bit of an accomplishment. And, you know, and they rented free agents and J.D. Martinez and Peralta won a bunch of games for them. And they got they got some contract issues that now they have to decide on whether there's options for Max Muncy and some other people. And obviously they're going to be a player. And if I'm Otani, I'm I'm going for a visit at Chavez Ravine because that's a really special place. That's like Yankee Stadium. That's like Fen- Fenway Park. So I, I, I think the Dodgers, they, I think I counted they had 11 veteran players. They moved off the roster last year because they were clearing budget space to make the run in free agency. But the guys they brought in, but rented for a year, did pretty doggone well. So I just think the Dodgers' ability to scope, site, sign, land, draft, develop players, pretty impressive. The Dodger way to me is has got great, great credibility. And I'm fascinated to see when we get to the start of free agency, we get to the winter baseball meetings, what they do, because Andrew Friedman does have a track record. I know it's convenient for Dodger fan to bash Dave Roberts. Mm-hmm. I've been critical of Dave Roberts, and I'm friends with Dave Roberts. You know, Dave, Dave, I think, has made some significant errors of judgment in terms of handling pitching in the playoffs, whether that who's first man out of the bullpen or why asking starters to pitch in, in relief in between starts, the overuse of certain guys. However, the way they operate their franchise, this is just not a decision made in a vacuum by Dave Roberts. This is a group decision. And whether that involves Mark Pryor, who I like as a pitching coach, whether that involves the analytics guys upstairs, let's be very honest here. Everybody has input as to what they're going to do as it relates to the pitching. Dave Roberts is the point man, so therefore he's catching all the heat right now. But they're a good organization, and they got six young arms coming. And they're they're gonna get May back, and they you know probably Bueller be back on opening day. I hope that Kershaw comes back for one farewell tour. I hate to see what's happened to Urias, but that's that's a stupidity thing that he did on his own. Correct. And I, he's kind of toxic. I don't know if anybody's going to touch him. And sadly, this comes on the heels of the, the whole Trevor Bauer uh, sexual misconduct uh, suspension and deportation to Japan. So, but I think in the big picture. Dodgers are really good, and geez, if they get Otani, they're going to be even better. And they got all, all these young arms coming, so you know I, I think the sky's the limit for Dodger Blue, and I think the Padres have got to fix their chemistry. And your Angels in Anaheim owner has to make a decision who he is, how he's going to act, and does he have the right people leading the way? Those are all excellent takes. And the only thing I'll piggyback off before we get out of here, Lee, is I you know as much as Angels don't, fans don't want to say it, but the Dodger way is the right way you know i wish we invested more in our international money and in player development and things of that nature because they do do the things that make us fans as angels fans jealous because they're continuing a winning you know fans can get on them their own fans get mad because they get to the postseason they lose lee i wish the angels would go back like they did for that little stretch between um oh three and or oh four and uh and oh nine where they were just consistently in the postseason and and being playoff contenders uh, i want to see that again i hope the padres can get to that point too and we can have a really good southern california feel of that aspect of hey maybe these two teams can meet up in the world series and it'd be an all socal world series but uh maybe it's a pipe dream maybe it's something that could happen 
with the suggestions that you brought up. But uh, Lee, I just want to tell you again, thank you so much for your time. You are a legend. I, I, I'm, I'm 43 now. I was listening to you as a teenager and, and love hearing all your takes over the years. Uh, and, and again, you were the man when it came to uh, sports talk uh, back in the day, because again, even stuff that wasn't on ESPN, you were covering or you were covering the breaking news like that. You had the perfect drive time time when I used to listen to you. So. Well, it proves one thing. If you do it long enough, you should get good enough at it. And I'm, <laughs> I'm proud. I, I did 28 years of sports talk radio here. And unfortunately, I got bought out twice and both my stations went went out of business because of corporate radio. But, you know, this is a new world. You're yeah. doing your podcast. I'm in the podcast world. I have a website and I'm doing TV stuff still in San Diego. So I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm not ready to walk away from it. And Ask a question, you'll get an answer. Don't like the answer? Well, too bad for you. You asked the question. <laughs> I think the coolest thing would be if the Dodgers are the Dodgers, the Angels can be what they were during the Tim Salmon era, and the Padres can fix this thing with a Tony Gwynn-type leadership. That'd be cool. Wouldn't that be a Southern California baseball summer to have all three in first place in their divisions fighting for the chance to go play in October? That, that would be so neat. Oh, that would be great. I mean, with the 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 games they play versus each other because of the unbalanced schedule now and you you know or where you play everybody and and just the fact that you know you're in the heart of the playoff race and again there's that chance the Dodgers and and Angels may wind up in the World Series or the Padres get another shot at the Dodgers or vice versa in the postseason that's exciting you know and uh, so I'm hoping it gets that day soon Lee and and uh, again appreciate your time and and uh, once again if you haven't already go to LeeHacksaw.com and hamilton.com and check out his his writings he does a lot of good posts uh youtube channel is fantastic he's got a take on just about everything and uh, yeah he'll give it to you straight that's for sure hey appreciate the time let's do this again thanks for being uh, having me on thank you so much lee have a good day my pleasure have a great afternoon bye-bye see you